to the Gym Podcast. Uncut, unfiltered, unreal. Welcome everybody to the Gym Podcast. We have a very special episode. It's your hosts, Randy and Jimbo Fisher here. And today we are joined by the one and only Willie. Hi, it's my first time on here, so I hope it's good. We hope so too. I think it will be because this is going to be a pretty exciting week. We've been waiting a long time for this episode. It is finally, of course, Rivalry Week. Um, and we, we, of course, have a very special feature at the, let's say, second half of this episode um, where we will get to your guys' input. But before that, I think we got to talk about a pretty wild week that just happened, Randy, wouldn't you say? I will. I think you want to do a little bit of gloating on uh, some of the takes we had. Just a couple. Only two. Because I only had two predictions last week. If you'll recall, I predicted that Michigan State would get destroyed by Ohio State and that Oregon would lose on the road to Utah. And sure enough, both predictions came through like miraculously to the point where like, I mean, Michigan State was destroyed by Ohio State and so was Oregon. They were destroyed by Utah, which I wasn't really expecting per se to that extreme, but it was pretty fun to watch. I got to admit. Neither game was competitive. So yeah, it was pretty convincing. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, um, sorry. I, I thought the Oregon Utah game was going to be at least competitive because yeah. Utah is not necessarily like a great team or anything, but on like the big stage, they love playing spoiler, so they were right in their comfort zone uh, on Saturday. Hey, they're seven and one in the last eight games. Yeah, I, I'm actually pretty impressed by Utah. Their defense was great. I think they held Oregon to like less than 75 rushing yards, like in the entire game or something like that, and they made their quarterback look flustered. So, hats off to the Utes. Good for them. And I hate to say it, Randy, but hats off to Ohio State. Uh, they they looked like uh... the best team on the planet. Uh, on Saturday, I'll say it, dude. They were up forty-nine to nothing at half. How they that, did look. How does that happen? Elite, listen, listen. It's a, they, first of all, Michigan State has literally the worst ranked pass defense in the entire country. Out of one hundred and thirty FBS teams, they were ranked one hundred and thirtieth. So you know something's bad when your secondary is worse than somebody like UMass or like UConn. Like I don't know what happened. Exactly. And like how I feel like that's like almost a problem in the sport that a team can have the 130th ranked pass defense, but be number seven somehow. Uh, listen to it. The, the thing is, at the end of the day, there's still a nine and one team entering that game. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's still a nine and one power five team. And CJ Stroud, dude, he went 32 for 35. He had 432 yards with six touchdowns. Like, and if it, I recall, it was like it was like a ninety-seven point eight passer rating or whatever. Yeah, obscene, too. Ninety-eight, ninety-eight percent. Ninety-eight. Obscene. Like I've I've never seen a performance that flawless, like ever, in on any stage. <laughs> and like I get it, Michigan State's overrated. I've been saying that for weeks. But they're still they're still good. It's still Michigan. Hey, State. at the end of the day, you still got to make the throws. So, and he That's did true. thirty-two of thirty-five, four hundred and thirty yards, six touchdowns. I, he I, only had hey hey he only had hundred and thirty yards less than Bryce Young last week. Oh so. come on. <laughs> hey, and that was versus a top twenty-five pass defense. Not that I'm trying to you know talk about that or anything. I'm just I felt like it was you know. I, yeah, I, this. Uh, sorry, uh, the past Saturday, I think it it really put. The lights out on Kenneth Walker's oh, um, sure. Heisman campaign this year. That, that was probably the nail in the coffin for him right there. He had, like, what, 25 yards? Like, total? Or yeah. Something, but, something it elevated, but it elevated C.J. Stroud's Heisman campaign, which he I think he deserves to be in the conversation, obviously. 
I just want people to remember the context of what ranked pass defense he played. I just just it's, want people to keep that in mind versus what Bryce Young just played and how they put up very similar stats. It's, that's fair. That's fair because you got to compare the competition on how they played and stuff like that. I, I, I agree. I, I will say they did take him out of the game kind of early. So they, they did. He, they probably could have put up 100 points if they wanted. Let's be honest. Uh, but I, I think the okay. Heisman definitely does come down to CJ Stroud versus Bryce Young at this point. I think those are the two front runners. Whether they should be or not is another debate, but it feels like you look on ESPN, you look at Twitter, everyone's talking about those two at this point, and it's going to kind of come down to these last couple of weeks here to see, uh, I guess, who finishes stronger at this point. Ohio State did play Nebraska very closely, so uh, that shows it's a week-to-week, uh, week-to-week sport. Hey. And also, Nebraska, I was, I'm going to point this out, Nebraska is 1-7 and seven in the Big Ten, yep. but in the conference, they have a plus-seven total point differential. <laughs> Dude, having... So they, they, that's insane. Having just played them, yeah, they are scary. It's it, they're, they're, People forget, Nebraska is very talented as a program. They recruit very well. They actually recruit better than Wisconsin. They, they recruit almost on the same level as, say, Michigan... Penn State, Michigan State, um, and literally like seven of their losses have been by less than like a score. Like they've been one score games. Yeah. Just if there's like so unlucky. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, there's one thing I want to point out is that going into like next Saturday when they play a ranked Iowa team, Nebraska <laughs> is actually favored by three points despite being a three and eight team going oh up God. against a nine and two I- I- Iowa team. That has to be the biggest record difference for like a favored versus unfavored team I've ever seen. Yeah, that's insane. And honestly, like I at a minimum, I'm sure they're going to keep it close because that's just what they do, man. Like they never actually get blown out from start to finish. They're always going to keep it within one score. And so, I mean, <laughs> the last two games I think between Nebraska and Iowa both ended with Iowa winning on a, a field goal in the last like three seconds. So mm-hmm. definitely a heartbreaking loss for the Cornhuskers. Yeah. See, this is like um, it's. I love rivalry week, but also it's kind of sad. Like this is a game that's probably gonna be really exciting to watch from start to finish, but there's no way I'm actually gonna watch this one because there's gonna be like three other games on at the same time that are like way better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. We're like spoiled with this weekend. Yeah. There's just so many good matchups from start to finish. I believe rivalry week always has great matchups because usually it either pits up like. The two best teams in the state, like, you know, you look at Alabama and Auburn, for example. That's always been a premier game, as long as I remembered. Uh, or you look at, like, you know, Michigan, Ohio State. I mean, they're not in the same state, but Rivalry Week brings together some of the best teams in the country to play each other. I feel like I have this weird feeling that Rivalry Week would be even better if we expanded the playoff. And I know we've talked about playoff expansion a lot in the past few episodes, because think about it with some of these rivalry league games with if you know that an auto bid an auto bid conference championship or even an out large spot is up for grabs in the rivalry league game that just adds so much pressure to these games mm-hmm. I, I agree man i wisconsin would still be in the playoffs at that point <laughs> yeah i mean that, I, yeah. I would love to see that i would love to it would be nice because i hate to say it like it, if michigan loses again to ohio state like it wouldn't mean their season's necessarily over Right, they'd still have like a shot if there was like a sixteen team playoff, probably even twelve team playoff. You know, they'd still yeah. have another shot. Yeah. Um because yeah, I mean four teams, let's face it, it's it's not enough. It's just not enough. It's not enough. Play. Either somebody deserving is gonna get left out or somebody that looks good enough to where you know that they could win it all would would yeah. be left out. Exactly. Yeah, it's like 
going back to talking about Michigan, it's like even if they lose against like Ohio State this weekend, I can't. I mean, as much as I dislike Jim Harbaugh, I can't get upset over a ten and two record. You know, yeah. any team out there would kill to have that. Exactly. But that's the thing is, I feel like all this criticism of Jim Harbaugh comes down to the fact that he can't beat Ohio State, despite just just by winning ten games a year, he can't beat Ohio State. If he he could go probably eight and four, but beat Ohio State and have so much less pressure put on him, it just becomes such a big emphasis for Michigan now. It's like we could go a one and eleven and be able to have that one win one, one win against Ohio State, and we'll sit there and be like, "Ha, we finally <laughs> beat you after eight years." It's been that long. And also the Michigan State game. He has a penchant for losing the Michigan State game, too. Oh, yeah, totally. It's it's the bigger games, but eventually I think he'll get there, hopefully, but we'll see what happens. Eventually. It's been it's been six years, so. No, <laughs> you know me. I've, I've seen it firsthand, all the pain and suffering of it. I mean, Wisconsin has had just as many issues against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship over the years. I mean, in 2017, we could have gone to the playoffs had we beaten them. But they've just had our number for years. And I think the, the fact of the matter is, Ohio State is just consistently extremely good. And so, like, I can't really yeah. fault Michigan or Jim Harbaugh for losing to them when they're consistently a playoff caliber team. Like, they're hard to beat. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I think people see what Auburn is somehow able to do against Saban. And I think they kind of let that get to their heads and think that that's, possible. I don't know, possible. <laughs> yeah, because when you think about it, Auburn is – they're four and seven versus Saban at Alabama. And you think four and seven, that's a losing record, but four and seven versus Nick Saban as a program is actually really insane Very when you good. think about good. it. And uh, one fact I actually want to point out that I have in my notes is that over the course of the last 20 years, Auburn actually leads the series 11 to 10. That's true. Oh my God. Uh, when I was in high school and middle school, I remember when I was in high school and middle school, all the we always got made fun of as the Alabama fans. Yeah. Auburn fans would do the dumb, fear the thumb, fear the second hand, six in a row, got six. I remember oh, all that crap in middle school, high, early high school, and it was so enraging. I actually remember when I was a freshman in high school, we lost 2007, Nick Saban's first year to Auburn. And one of my friends showed up in Alabama pajamas. I don't know why he wore pajamas to school. But he had like these Alabama pajamas that he wore one day. And one of our other friends was like, hey, I thought you said you gave up on being an Alabama fan. You were going to be an Auburn fan now. <laughs> That's how sick of it they got. Oh, my God. If you can't beat them, happen. then you have to join them, I guess. I don't know. Good thing you stayed. I, I doubt he stayed an Auburn fan for long. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> no. Nick Saban just came in and kind of cleared house after that. And I remember, speaking of rivalry, rivalries, this is a mid-season rivalry, which we talked about a few episodes ago. I remember I went to, in 2007, I also went to my uncle's little lake house thing for Thanksgiving. And I remember him trash-talking my dad and being like, so when are you going to fire that joke of a new coach of yours? <laughs> Nick Saban. And this was right after we lost to Louisiana Monroe. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. If, oh, man. I wonder what he's thinking now. Uh, we got the last laugh. If I ever see him again. Dude, that was so lucky. Like, because the thing is, like, 99% of the time, it, it doesn't work out like this. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. <laughs> All right. As long as no, you know. that, So that's the thing is I do consider myself very lucky because, like, I would have gone to Alabama no matter how good or bad our football team was. I mean, that's the in-state school. It's close. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you're, you're close to family and stuff. You get a good education. And still, it's a... 
even in the early 2000s, it was still probably a decent football team. It just wasn't great, if I remember correctly. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty I mean, good, Randy. It was pretty good. Come on. I feel like a lot of teams would not want to settle for what we were. But it wasn't like we were Kansas. But I feel like not being Kansas shouldn't be the Anything's bar than being you set Kansas. for yourself. Exactly. It shouldn't be the bar you set for yourself. Plain Texas. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, the thing is... Oh, poor Texas. I, I'm going to try and transition this here. One reason teams struggle so much over the years is because of coaching. And this year in particular, man, it feels like we have a lot more coaching openings right now than we ever have at this point of the season, right? Like, there have been so many midseason firings happening this year. Obviously, just most recently with uh, Dan Mullen being out at Florida. Does this surprise you at all? Like, do you think this is because of COVID? Or, like, is there any reason why we're seeing so many coaches being fired this this early in the year? Well, I think... At some universities, the expectations are high. I mean, USC fired their coach back in September, but we kind of saw that coming. I think a lot of it has to do with they have the early, what is it, early signing day now. Yeah. And I think for a lot of these, a lot of them, they want to get the new coach in ASAP and get them in, mm. starting to recruit ASAP for early signing day and get a head start in recruiting. I can even I see that. Yeah. What, what is that? Instead of letting them of the year. Do you know when that it's is? It's in January. I think it's January. That is early. I think the early signings December, if I remember correctly. I don't it's, remember. It's in the winter, and that, it's in the winter, and that just drives home the point that I mean, you really don't have time to right after the season to just rest. It's just crazy. Yeah, like don't. I don't know. Like I mean, obviously, I, I did not play college football, but I imagine if you're like a recruit, though, like, do you want to go into a a school that just fired their head coach. I feel like that's like the type of environment you want to avoid. But yeah, I will I give agree. you. I will give you some perspective. So like, uh, one of my friends, I actually know somebody. Uh, his brother is a player at Florida State, and he was one of the last signed recruits. He has a scholarship at Florida State to play football. He's on the team now. He's gotten playing time this year. I don't want to dox him or anything, but he's my friend. And it's a situation where for a lot of these recruits. I think you're thinking too high, too much about the top level recruits and not the rest of the roster. And I mean, I'm not trying to disrespect my friend's brother, but he's a rest of the roster kind of guy, three star, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the roster spot. And for a lot of these, for a lot of these guys, they're trying to make the roster, trying to get playing time, just trying to work hard and improve. Mm-hmm. And they can't really just pick and choose like that. Right. Throughout the five star guys that can go anywhere they want in the world and. Yeah, not everybody's that. Yeah, the the uh, the royalties of being a five star. <laughs> there you go. Randy knows all about that. Uh, but beyond that, though, were you guys surprised though with uh, you know Bolin being gone or really any of the firings so far this season? Is this just kind of what we're used to at this point in college football? Well, I mean, so far, you know, most of the coaches that you see that have either parted ways mutually or have gotten fired is that. Look at TCU, Virginia Tech, Florida, USC. All those coaches have been there for at least four to five years, and that program was waiting for them to take it to the next level. But unfortunately, this year, they all fell flat, and they all got fired. And when you're there for just that long, and you don't succeed, it's time to make a change. I don't know, though. Is it, though? Like, I, the thing is, what's tough for me is, especially in cases like TCU with Gary Patterson, it's like, that man, like, changed the entire program. Like, they weren't even, were they like an FCS school or something when he first joined? They, like, they were a group of five. It's just like, It was Western like, Athletic Conference when yeah, he first yeah. got there. But it's just like, it's 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 weird to me. Like, I, I get it. Like, it's, being in a slump sucks. Like, feeling like you're kind of in a dead end or something like that is not enjoyable, but... 
on the other hand, like with with so many schools firing their coaches lately, it just to me like the instability seems to outweigh any of the like the potential. Like it's just too risky in in my mind because like who's going to replace them? You know who's going to come into TCU and know the culture better than Gary Patterson, right? I I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things. I feel like a lot of these new coaches that come in, they I feel like they go to their athletic director and they promise the world and then some. <laughs> yeah. When in reality, they everybody just needs to be realistic. And the thing is, if they don't promise the world, they're not going to get the job in the interview process. So I think a lot of that actually really falls into the athletic director's mm. responsibility. Yeah. And I think just a lot of these schools, like, I'm sorry, but just need to be realistic <laughs> yeah. with what they, what they can achieve. And I think it's important to raise the floor before you try to hit the ceiling. That's and I don't think a lot of them do a good job of that. I'll say the one coach I'm surprised is still around at his current school mm-hmm. is James Franklin. <laughs> Not because he would get fired, but because he'd leave. I think he's going but to leave. I think he's going to leave. I think, I think just... as soon as the clock hits zero yeah. on yeah. the uh, on their upcoming game, he's gone. Yeah, he's just been waiting, 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 to to waiting his odds. But... uh I, I say all this actually as kind of a tie into Michigan here, Willie. Um, it feels like every other year people are calling for Jim Harbaugh's head. When in my mind, he's got to be like one of the best people for the job at Michigan. Like I, I understand like they're not being Ohio State, they're not making the playoffs, but I look at what happened to like Texas, dude, when they when they hired Sark, and I know it's year one, but like you know, look at what happened to Nebraska with Scott Frost. It's not yeah, even I'm... good hires aren't guaranteed to work out, <laughs> you know. Oh well, yeah, I mean. You know, seeing the Michigan program firsthanded and everything, you go through three years, four years of Brady Hoke, you go through Rich Rod, you're just looking for somebody that can get you the nine and ten wins and stuff like that. So, I mean, some people are satisfied with that and some aren't because, like, you know, it's the seventh year here. You expect the playoffs and to beat Ohio State. It still hasn't happened, but I don't see any reason to fire him still, to be honest. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I guess one last thing before we jump into predicting this week. Uh, real quick predictions here. Just just, uh, just spitfire them. Who do you think is going to be the next coach at Florida? Uh, is it going to um, be a Saban assistant? Is it going to be G5 guy? Is it going to be James Franklin? They don't really hire Saban assistants around Florida. It's going to be somebody Spurrier, Spurrier signs off on. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of who's really just in his coaching tree because he has some pretty – Senior coach is just around that spur your nose, and he'll get a recommendation from one, from one of them. Yeah, um, it's just interesting. I, I don't even there, know. there are so many openings this year that, like, I don't even know who's going to replace all these guys. Like, I, is yeah. Florida really the job that really the premier job in, in this in this class? No, I think I think USC probably is or LSU. In Come to yeah, Florida, I'm, compete against Bama and Georgia every year. Exactly. Yeah. I mean the. When you look at something like Florida, if I was the athletic director, I mean, you have a program that has maintained success, you know, with Spurrier, Meyer, and to some degree, you had good years with Muschamp and um, McElwain and stuff like that. So you can use that as leverage to say, I mean, we're still a good program, but if I was the athletic director, you have to make a home run higher, or I don't think it's going to work out there. Like, you can't settle for a coordinator or anything right now. Very true, very true. Talk to Saban. So, for this next segment, we last week asked you guys, the viewers, to send in some clips, some some paragraphs, describing your rivalry of, of for Rivalry Week, of course. And we got some really, really good stuff from you guys. I think we had a total of, like, 
12 submissions, um, ranging from some of the funniest stuff I've ever heard to really insightful things, actually, regarding your rivalry that I didn't know about. And we just want to go down this list and uh, basically go through presenting these things to you guys, commenting on them. Uh, but before I get to that, I think Randy here wanted to share his uh, preview of the rivalry first. Yeah, obviously, obviously, I didn't send you an, an audio clip because I, I knew we were going to be in the show. <laughs> so this is my chance for everybody to have to listen to my soapbox. Oh boy! When did I first learn that I hate Auburn? Probably middle school. Whenever we lost five, six in a row. Uh, I remember uh, we lost five in a row and somebody I was in band with in middle school band with when I got to band class right the Monday after the game, I was wearing an Alabama shirt and he came up to me and he said, Hey, look at this. And he literally put his thumb in my face to signify that they just won their fifth in a row. And he said, I'd be embarrassed to wear that shirt to school today. That was the moment where I realized that I hate Auburn and I don't want to lose to them. We then continued to lose to them for another year and lost six in a row, and we got continued to get made fun of by Auburn fans in high school. So I wanted to paint the picture that it's not like, I mean, being a Bama fan is pretty easy, but it wasn't always roses. Man. I've been to a lot of Auburn games over the years. I will say, I mean, I was at the 2009 game, the the drive. I was at the 2010 Canback game. I was at that game. I was at 2011 when I was in the Million Dollar Band. I was at the 2012 game with the Million Dollar Band. Thankfully, was not at the kick six. I was at 2014 when we won. We were down two scores the whole game, but came back and won 55 to 44. I was at 2016. Yeah, I was at the 2016 game. And most importantly, I was at the 2018 game. And I would say my favorite memory from the Iron Bowl is actually that's where I got engaged was wow. the 2018 Iron Bowl. Yeah. Like, I proposed right before we went into the game, and we had, like, a sign to try to get on TV and everything. We didn't get on TV, but I had the sign ready for it. (laughs) And that's when I got engaged. And I'm saying, yeah, that's a very special memory. Because in the state of Alabama, with, like, an in-state rivalry like this, you have to understand the whole state loves football. The whole state loves college football. We all pay attention to it. And it's for year-round bragging rights, you know. As much respect as I give Ohio State Michigan, whenever Michigan or Ohio State, which they rarely do, lose – they can go back to their own state and they don't have to deal with the incessant mocking by coworkers, friends, fellow students, whatever the case may be. We couldn't really escape that. So, so sad. that's sad. The Iron Bowl is very special. Thanksgiving, it's always one of the big subjects at Thanksgiving, especially if you have Auburn bands in your family. It's always a good time. Man, Randy, this has been insightful. I'm sorry yeah. to endure that as a as a child, but I guess this is like positive karma in your favor this last decade or so. I feel like I deserve it. <laughs> All right. Oh boy. And I also I almost got in trouble with my uh, with my wife with my pole assassin at home <laughs> because yeah, I, so, your pole assassin. Yeah. So while I was doing research for the episode, I was kind of talking to her about what we planned on doing this episode, and I just asked her, "What was your favorite memory associated with the Iron Bowl with our rivalry with Auburn?" Just kind of like, I don't know, bounce some ideas. Yeah. And she said it like this. What? What do you mean? When we got engaged. I'm wow. like, well, yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't mean, I wasn't trying to say that. Like, I forgot about that. <laughs> so I almost got in trouble. I had to clarify. No, I meant in the context of the game. Of course. I mean, oh. that is obviously the, the favorite memory, but I, I had to avoid getting in trouble there. <laughs> That's great, Randy. All right. So uh, up first, we have a submission from Geo. So, um, college football rivalry week is coming up as we all know, and 
uh, my team, Johns Hopkins, already played their rival, McDaniel. Um, we beat them, and we haven't lost to them since the year 2000. Now, the rival, what the rivalry means to me is that it's just, it's just a fun game. It's usually to cap off the season, and um, despite us usually winning, we all still have a fun time. Uh, I, when I first knew I loved my team and hated my rival, I, if I gotta be totally honest, I never really hated McDaniel because I'm not gonna hate them until we lose to them. <laughs> and my favorite moment from the rivalry is, um, actually, my favorite McDaniel moment was when they went into Russia, um, and beat a team of European squads in the 1990s. It was, that's pretty funny. And who do I, I mean, if this game was happening this week... McDaniels versus Ho McDaniel versus Hopkins. You know who I think would win? I mean, I don't think I even really need to give an answer to that. Anyways, go Blue Jays. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much for that, Gio. Uh, that was interesting to see. So regarding um, Johns Hopkins, I, first of all, I didn't know Johns Hopkins had a football team. Did you guys know that they even had a a football team heading into this? I was, I was mildly aware they had a football team, but I've never really met a uh, fan of their football team. I know they're like a, aren't they purely a medical school? I, I thought so, but they're, they're a D3 football school apparently. And it's true. They've beaten McDaniel 20 games in a row. Wow. So, that's crazy. I can't imagine the pain of the other fan club right now. That's almost as bad as Bedlam. That's almost as bad. So there you go, Willie. It, it, Look at the bright side. It could be worse. You could be a McDaniel fan losing to John Hopkins for 20 years. Ago. Oh, I couldn't do that. I'm sorry. I had to I'd probably there. quit. But uh, thanks again, Drew. That was a fun take. All right. Up next, we've got the one and only DK previewing Notre Dame. Hey, it's me, DK, the one everyone loves. Unfortunately, my voice is broken after the Bears game, so I have to use text-to-speech to give my full thoughts on Stanford-Notre Dame. So Stanford is a team that I feel bad for because they always seem to be a team that nobody likes and picks on. Plus, they aren't even a blue blood. So anyways my first true experience of watching this rivalry was in 2010, and oh my god was that a fucking nightmare. Like goddamn, Stanford had Andrew Luck, Richard Sherman, Doug Baldwin, and Zach Hertz. It was practically last season's Bamu but on the west coast. Anyways those three heads fucked me over in 2015. When the Corpicus guy or something I'd cuz name, yeah he ruined our shots of making the CFP, and then they blew us out in 2017, forcing us to play fucking LSU in the Citrus Bowl. Also remember when Stanford was a legit threat to win the Natty annually. I wonder what happened about that. Anyhow I always liked the Kaiser's TD in 2015, and made me think we would win, and in 2019 I liked how we would them because that was fun. It even helped us playing the fraudulent cyclones in the Cheez-It Bowl. As for who wins here? It's obviously going to be ND here, because quite frankly Stanford sucks real bad this year, like how did they upset Oregon? Also it's expected for ND to make the CFP, because if you think about it, Michigan or Ohio State loses, which eliminates one of them. Georgia will probably beat Bama in the SEC Championship which eliminates Bama. Then I think Cincy loses to Houston in the AAC Championship because looking at Cincy, they haven't been that good of a team. I know I should be bitching about how Notre Dame is better than Stanford, but I think this is accurate and will happen. Anyways that's all I have for this rivalry.
Go Irish, and fire Matt Nagy to the fucking sun like Jesus how shitty of a coach you gotta be to run it on 4th and 1 in your own territory. <laughs> oh my god. That's awesome. That was, that was great. <laughs> I, think I love the hatred, the raw hatred yeah. he has for Stanford. I didn't realize Notre Dame and Stanford was that big of a rivalry. He brought up some good points, how like they've they beat him in the past with like Andrew Luck and Richard Sherman. He, you know, I Stanford used to be good, man. It's hard to believe now. I want to bring up the fact is that if Stanford lost that game that year, I just want to mention that I believe Jim Harbaugh was that coach that lost. So hey. Stanford Harbaugh has a history of choking with great teams. I mean uh, that Stanford team yeah. never even got close to a national championship with again, Andrew Luck, Richard Sherman, Zach Ertz, Doug Baldwin. Lost I think they had uh, Chris Alusu yeah. on it too. Stephon Taylor. They had some really good players. What a team! Well, good luck to Harbaugh this weekend. But holy cow, DK, thank you so much. That was like the funniest clip I think of all of them. No offense to anyone else, but holy crap, that hey, caught me off guard. He's, he's right. He's right. The Notre Dame does have a legitimate chance at the CFP still. They do. Hey, they they need a few pieces to fall into place. But uh, Wisconsin Cincy to lose and for Georgia to what? According to Texas Beach, beat Bama. Beat Bama, yes. Beat Bama, dude. That's the <laughs> motto going into this week. <laughs> All right, up next we have Super Bomb One Two Two. Yes, thank you, Super Bomb, for the submission. I got this from him yesterday, and he is a fan of Western Kentucky, and his rival is Marshall. I love to see these small school rivalries. WKU Marshall isn't a rivalry that always finds its way onto the hollowed weekend after Thanksgiving. Hell, it's not even a rivalry that shows up in Wikipedia, but make no mistake, there is no love lost between the Hilltoppers and Thundering Herd, and it all stems back to one of the best games in CUSA history, the Western Kentucky Marshall game in 2014. Coming into the game, Western Kentucky was a heavy underdog. First-year coach Jeff Brom, who, side note, is Purdue's coach now, offense ranked among the best in football with Brandon Dowdy at the helm, now an NFL quarterback, but the defense ranked among the worst. The toppers entered the game 6-5, and five, letting up at least 40 points in every one of their losses. The Marshall defense, meanwhile, was rolling. They were yet to let an opponent score 30 en route to an 11-0 record and number 24 ranking in the CFP. They had already locked up the CUSA East, and it looked probable that the crowd in Huntington was about to watch another regularly scheduled blowout win. What they saw instead was an overtime stunner. QB's Brendan Dowdy and Rakeem Cato combined for over 900 yards, 15 passing touchdowns. Each team's lead back gained over 200 yards on the ground, helping the yardage total for the game exceed 1,400. Western Kentucky won 67-66, to closing out just a 7-5 season in their first year of CUSA membership. It would be Marshall's only loss of the season en route to the CUSA championship. Western Kentucky would win the title in 2015, beating Marshall for the second time in a row in the process. This year marks the penultimate game in the series before Marshall leaves for the Sun Belt. In an almost cinematic fashion, the winner will make the CUSA championship. It's a battle for the ages. The passing TD leader plays for Western Kentucky. Bailey Zepp, we've talked about him a few times. The rushing TD leader plays for Marshall. Marshall comes in with four straight wins over Western Kentucky, three of them by just one score. So do I expect this year to be an epic showdown like 2014? Hell no. Western Kentucky, 41-24. to 24. Go Tops. Oh, man, this is a really good oh, submission. Oh, I love it. That was really good. Yeah, I, <laughs> I just love seeing nice. a small school rivalry hatred. It's so great because I feel like with us being fans of large schools, we kind of forget that, like, rivalries, a lot of rivalry stems from, like, this local – 
schools that are close to each other that have to interact with each other a lot, mm-hmm. you know, for real conference bragging rights, conference championship bragging rights. It's just, it's really cool to see. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Cause you know, you get like Bedlam that gets the attention, the Iron Bowl, Michigan, Ohio State. And then people forget that there's those small schools that absolutely hate each other. And even, I think it even goes down to the high school level sometimes too, although I know that's kind of off topic, but even yep. in high school, there's some schools that can't stand each other. For sure. And I think you brought up a good point that this is this is the last time they're going to play each other uh, before, uh, you know, the conference realignment. Like, that's got to add some extra tension to it, I imagine. It's yet another rivalry that's going to be a victim of the ever-changing landscape of college football. Yeah. That's how it is. And I really – and I want to bring up the side note. Um, I remember reading a story about there's two Division two teams in Texas – uh, and what they do is they play every year. They're big rivals. They hate each other. And the thing is, whenever the away team for both for both home games, the away team, what they have to do is they just simply walk across the street to the other school stadium <laughs> because they're that close. And they hate each other so much that they refuse to share a stadium. So they built their own stadiums. Jesus. <laughs> okay. That's yeah, and very like interesting. During the home games, while the other has a home game, if the other has a home game, whenever something positive happens for the other team, you can hear cheering in the other team's stadium from your stadium. And so they kind of make it like a little competition to make sure they cheer louder than the other, than the other team. Oh, man. That's make unique. I've never actually heard of that before. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, once again, thanks, Superbomb122. That was a great submission. All right, moving on. Up next, we have Adrian. Maryland bad. <laughs> All right. That's All right. He said it directly the best to the there, point. I think. Yeah, Maryland bad, I guess. Um, you know, <laughs> Adrian is a fan of – Adrian is a Rutgers fan, He's a Rutgers way. fan, yes. Rutgers is playing Maryland this weekend. I, I want to say, though, one thing here, Adrian. Thank you for the submission, by the way. I think he is onto something with this Maryland bad thing. Um, honestly, it, it feels like the banter I've been seeing between Rutgers and Maryland fans is, is pretty genuine. It's pretty authentic. And that's exactly how rivalries develop over the years. Obviously, Rutgers is new to the Big Ten. Maryland's new to the Big Ten. But they've kind of been pinned together into this rivalry over the years. And I, it's starting to get kind of genuine. I think, you know, maybe over the course of the next decade, it, it could get there. What do you guys think? I think well, one important factor to mention is that for this year between the two... That game is going to be important for both teams because they are fighting for uh, a bowl game this true. year. True, true, very true. Yeah, and for Rutgers it'll especially, definitely be more important for Rutgers especially. That has to be a huge deal because it feels like it's been a long time, hasn't it, since they fought for relevancy? Really? Yeah. So then this low key, I think, could be a close game. Something to keep on your radar. But uh, thanks again, Adrian, for those wise words. We really appreciate it. All right, moving on next, we have Saxo Steve with an audio clip. Hello, Saxo Steve here. I have been invited by Jimbo and Randy to briefly discuss the Backyard Brawl and its meaning to me. As among the first in my family to go to college, I did not fully grasp the brawl until I reached the banks of the Monongahela in Morgantown. As my freshman year wound along, everything that autumn was building to Game 11. Pit. West Virginia was 7-3 that season, and I made the trek to Morgantown to board a bus and see what all the hubbub was about. It was at this time that the rivalry crystallized for me. A WVU win made for a lovely ride back home. My sophomore year was a home game for the brawl, and was another Mountaineer victory. And just like that, the flame was suddenly extinguished. 
conference realignment, the killer of the Black Diamond Trophy, had reared its ugly head once again. This time, however, it took what the ears held most dear. Those faithful to West Virginia have worked tirelessly to keep the embers of the rivalry aglow, however. I had the great fortune to go to Austin, Texas in 2018 to see WVU defeat Texas 49-48, an instant classic. On the long walk down the ramps and out of the colossus that is Texas Memorial Stadium, the smattering of West Virginia fans were quite excited about the W, but they did not voice this. Instead, they voiced their displeasure at the very existence of Pitt. That is a rivalry. And on September the 3rd of this coming year, we will once again be serenaded with the sights and sounds of Heinz Field, filled with the passionate supporters of the old Golden Blue. It will have been 2,550 days since the announcement of the game, and 3,335 days since the last football game between the two schools. And so, I leave you with the words of the late, great voice of the Mountaineers, Jack Fleming. Quote, Son, that's Pitt. You hate Pitt now. You hate Pitt tomorrow. You hate Pitt until the day you die. After that, you will hate Pitt for eternity. Oh my God, Saxo Steve, thank you so much for this. That was like actually poetic. <laughs> That's good. That was beautiful. It was actually beautiful. Like I was. I actually want to uh, make a. An important note into that um, Backyard Brawl series is that in 2007, West Virginia was number two going into their game against Pittsburgh. You know, BCS title mm-hmm. um, implications on the line. And they got upset by Pitt that year. And Pitt wasn't even good that year, right? They had like a losing record. Or- they were, yeah, they five wins. They ended it was up Rich Rod's last year in West Virginia trying to make the BCS title game. And then Pitt just comes along and stomps it out. Just Man, I'm glad Rich Rod did not take the Alabama title <laughs> that game. That was I the game where he was did. determining. Yeah, he was. That was the game. He was. He was either going to go to Alabama or Michigan. He went to yeah. Michigan. It's just crazy. I, I, Saxo Steve brought up a good point. Like we were just saying before, with rivalries ending basically after conference realignment. I mean, I'm glad. Obviously, West Virginia will play Pitt again, but it's it's sad to see, man. Like it's it's sad to see. It's sad to think like if if that ever happened to us. You know, like I can't imagine. Wisconsin and Minnesota not playing every year, but I imagine he couldn't, you know, no one else imagines this right until it happens. So exactly. And I mean, that's part of the game is that, I mean, rivalries, they don't form overnight. They can't be forced. And that means they also don't go away overnight, even though they haven't played in years, they still hate each other and they still look forward to getting the chance to beat each other. And I think also part of it is it's also going to take time for new rivalries and these new conferences to form. Yeah. I mean, you see, you see Texas A&M. Willie's also a Texas A&M fan. You see Texas A&M kind of forming some of their own little rivalries. Like they have a thing going with LSU that's becoming a little, well, I don't want to say heated, but it's getting very interesting with stuff like the, the seven overtime game, what they're usually fighting for by the end of the season. It's these kinds of moments that build up and really make you hate a team. Yeah. I mean, as an A&M fan, or at least pre- recently being a new one, I don't have any hatred for LSU. But the only important thing about LSU is that you're in the SEC West, so LSU is a team you have to play every year. And if you don't beat them, you can't win the West. True. Very true. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you once again, Saxo Steve. That was that was actually really, really impressive. I really like that. All right. Moving on next, we have TSC. All right, this one's from TSC, otherwise known as the Sports Channel. He's a fan of the Northwestern Wildcats. 
And his submission reads as follows. I hate Illinois. We dominate them in every way in most sports except for basketball, but that hoops domination doesn't matter too much. The one thing I hate about them the most is their fans. They act like they're the greatest team in the Big Ten in every sport every year, even though us, a small private school, absolutely demolishes them every single time we play. I don't care that they dominated us in the 1980s. Since Fitzgerald took over, every single year it's an automatic W for us. Even in 2019, when we were two and nine and they were six and five, we still demolished them with converted safety at running back and the fourth string quarterback. So how do I expect our game to go this year? I know that we've struggled all year, and I know that Illinois hasn't been that horrible, but since Fitzgerald took over, they're our little brother. And this year, once again, Big Brother will own Little Brother with a big win. We could have a team of drunk kangaroos and still dominate them. That's, that's just the state of this rivalry. Fitzgerald has figured out the Illini, and you might as well nail the hat to our trophy case, because as long as Fitz is here, the Illini ain't getting it back. Go Cats. Oh my gosh! Thank oh you so man, much. that was really good to you. As a <laughs> as an actual little brother myself, I felt that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see that the big brother, li- little brother, you know, hate go on around to other in-state games. It, it's a good thing to see. Um, but like I said, Michigan owns that one. That insult. That's true. That is true. But I gotta say, I think he raises a good point though. With Illinois, it feels like Northwestern beats them every year. Um, and just overall, I feel like Northwestern, you hear about Northwestern a lot more than Illinois when it comes to athletics. Um, so I wish you good luck. They're the nerds of the conference and they actually get big wins. They do. All things considered. Fun I definitely... fact. Yeah. Oh, no, I'll say fun fact. Northwestern went to their conference championship game more recently than Alabama. That's pretty wild. Yep. But not happening this year. Let's go Wisconsin. But <laughs> thanks again, technically, it happened in the same year, but I Thank think their game was earlier in the day. So that's, it was just a fun, fun fact. That's funny. Yeah. Northwestern ain't doing so great this year. Uh, it's, it's with Northwestern, dude, it's an every other year thing. So next year, they'll probably win the Big Ten West. So just just keep that in mind. You know what I mean? It's yeah, you better watch thing. out, Wisconsin. It, I, I am. It's an alternating thing. We alternate who <laughs> wins the West. So it is what it is. All right. Moving on here, we have Pro. What's up, Jimbo? It's Pro. You may have known me for being the former guest picker on the Jim Podcast, but I have reappeared to talk about the Apple Cup. Now, I'm pretty neutral on this, but it really is the home state rivalry. Although I was born in California, I do live in Washington, the state, not D.C., okay? And I got to say... It's really a rivalry dominated by one team. It's a one-sided rivalry. But when Wazoo does win, it's pretty entertaining. And in 2008, both teams really sucked, with Washington being 0-12 at the end of the year and Wazoo being 2-11 at the end of the year. Now, with that, it's pretty interesting because Wazoo does win 16-13, with both schools only scoring one touchdown. But... The Wazoo kicker hits three chip shots from 28 yards, 19 yards, and 37 yards to beat Washington. Now, with that out of the way, um, I don't really expect Washington's dominance to be kept up here in this rivalry since Jimmy Lake was fired for punching players and overall being an idiot through 13 games. And Rolovich was fired for being an anti-vaxxer. 
But I think Rolovich did build up a more talented roster in his limited time as a coach than Jimmy Lake. And so with that, I do expect Wazoo to win 15-3. to No touchdowns scored at all. No touchdowns. None of them. Touchdowns are not going to happen in the Apple Cup, I tell you that. But Max Borgie is going to be really good. And I really do lean towards Washington State because of Max Borgie. He can really just run all over Washington with power and put Wazoo in field goal range more times than Washington. Now, with that, I do think um, it's my time to go. So if you excuse me, I got a DIFM and Scrabble. Do it for me, Jimbo. Do it for me. I'll do it for you, bro. Thank you so much, DIFM. <laughs> that was great. I love how he brought up that both have fired coaches. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's funny. And they're both fired for being just absolute morons. <laughs> Rolovich fired for being an anti-vaxxer and uh, what was the other one? Like- he was fired for like, punching players and doing, doing all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, uh, I think it was the Oregon athletic director had to make a statement midseason uh, about Jimmy Lake. And he said, yeah, we respect the University of Washington. We respect their former coach Peterson. And we respect their athletic director. <laughs> and like made it very clear he's purposely living out Jimmy Lake. Oh, man. It's the uh, the battle of interim head coaches this weekend for the two Washington teams. You think they could be fighting for a job, battle for a job? I mean, they want to get extended, right? I mean... Uh... I, I honestly, I don't know, but Washington State hasn't necessarily been horrible since getting rid of Rolovich, so I don't know where they would go with that. Should be a good yeah, one, they though. surprised me this year. They've yeah. been pretty good. They're six and five. That's yeah, not too bad. I, I like I like his prediction of there being no touchdowns. That would be pretty cool to see, just nothing but field goals. So fingers crossed. That's kind of how it ends. Um, but thanks again, bro. That was pretty fun. All right, up next is Axe with a game that is near and dear to my heart. Randy, take it away. All right, this is X. He is a Minnesota fan, by the way. Jimbo's not the biggest fan of Minnesota, if you listen to the last episode. What the rivalry means to you. For most of my life, Minnesota kind of feels like a younger brother to Wisconsin in almost every sport. Vikings usually are second fiddle to the Packers. Wisconsin basketball usually owns Minnesota, and the football series really hasn't been that competitive. It's pretty embarrassing, but it's still a fun experience. I've been to plenty of Axe games growing up, and a lot of my old buddies were Wisconsin fans, so there was some personal attachment there. I also think the fact that it's the most played rivalry and that the all-time series is so even makes it more sweet, even if it seems lopsided and the post-game celebration with the chop down of the field goal posts are sick. True. When you first knew you loved your team and hated your rival. My parents went to Minnesota, so I guess it was just kind of by nature. Even though they weren't that good, they were still a fun team to watch and enjoy tailgating at. As for Wisconsin, I don't really hate them. They have too many likable players from their running backs to when they have to when they have Wilson, and I frankly respect their consistency. I obviously hate them as a rival, but outside of that, nothing but respect. And he was obviously referring to Russell Wilson. Yeah. Your favorite moments from the rivalry. 2003 was the first Minnesota game I could remember act- remember us actually winning. It was very close, too. It was my first game that I actually went to between the two teams, and it was pretty back and forth throughout most of the game. Minnesota won on a last-second field goal, and honestly, it felt pretty awesome. But even more, once I learned later on how long of a winning streak the Badgers had at the time. 
who you think will win this week's rivalry game. feel like it'll either be a blowout or a close game, but it's P.J. Fleck, so I'm expecting something like Wisconsin, 34-21. to 21. Oh man, X, you're killing me with kindness here because I, I want to like be super vile and hate Minnesota, but that was a very kind write-up. You said you kind of respect us as a program. I noticed that Wisconsin <laughs> fans, people from Wisconsin have a much greater hatred towards Minnesota than Minnesota has. That's probably true. Even to I'm not too familiar with their rivalry, but if there's one fact I want to point out from my notes is that the rivalry between the two... I believe Wisconsin only leads it like 62 to 60 in in a couple ties. So it's somewhat competitive, but the last like 21 years it hasn't. Yeah, so basically it's the longest played college football rivalry uh, in D1. I don't think a lot of people realize that. And up until I want to say three or four years ago, Wisconsin was actually trailing the entire time. Um, we, we tied it and have since taken the lead. But, yeah, overall it's been extremely, you know, neck yeah. and neck. Minnesota since, was Alabama, was the Alabama football of college football in, like, what, the 30s, 50s? Last team to three feet. Yeah. Yeah. The last 20 years, Wisconsin has an 18-3 of three advantage over uh, the Gophers. Of course. We'll take that. But <laughs> – I, I really appreciate I appreciate this axe. I appreciate the kind words. I at a minimum I think it's gonna be a close game this weekend. I agree with them that you know thirty four to twenty one sounds about right. Fingers crossed in my favor. But I, I think it's gonna be a pretty low scoring classic Big Ten game, that kind of thing. Uh real quick, how about we just keep it on this rivalry? We actually have two submissions for this game. Um up next is a good friend of mine, Cameron. He he's making a surprise appearance here, at least sent us a surprise appearance. Um, Randy, if you'd like to read Cameron's submission, that'd be great. I would. Cameron, he he knows Jimbo in real life. I don't know if that's a dox. So he's obviously a Wisconsin fan, Wisconsin student. What the rivalry means to you. The Minnesota versus Wisconsin rivalry is very dear to me, especially since discussing it gets me an entry for the Pizza Hut gift card drawing. (laughs) That is true. We we, we will have the drawing. We will. I've heard about the rivalry for ages, and I'm pretty sure there's an X. When did you first know that you loved your team and hated your rival? I guess I went to the University of Wisconsin, and you really can't not support the Wisconsin Badgers in that situation. This is especially true when you work and have classes only blocks away from their home stadium. Don't know much about Minnesota, so I don't really know why I hate them, but I do. (laughs) Your favorite moments from the rivalry? Definitely the fire extinguisher. If if you know, you know. I don't know. If you know, you know, I'm going to leave it at that. You have to be there. All right. Uh, something about a fire extinguisher. Well, thank you for that, Cameron. Oh, one last thing Cameron said here. Who do you think will win this week's rivalry game? What game? <laughs> Cameron, for those that don't know, Cameron is in Norway right now doing a, uh, what is it, foreign exchange? He's uh, foreign he, exchange. No, he's getting his master's in Norway at a university in Norway. So he has a hard time following football this season. He does, but when die, the games happen, die, like, as you can tell, in the morning. diehard Wisconsin fan, though. So we really appreciate you, uh, you know, submitting that here. All right, up next is Chip. All right, Chip. He is a fan of the UCLA Bruins. His rival is obviously USC. Hi, Jimbo. Hi, Randy. USC is our bitch, and our rivalry game happened yesterday at the time of him sending that to us. It was a score which means nobody has embarrassed their rival in the same fashion that UCLA wiped the floor with USC yesterday so bad that you think it was a basketball score. Now that now that that's over with, what are your thoughts on UCLA firing Chip Kelly and hiring Lane Kiffin? I'll hang up and listen. Go Bruins. 
Okay, for real quick, for those that aren't aware, a score gami is whenever there's a game that has a final score that's never happened before in college football history. Mm-hmm. And it's called a score gami. So, for example, if a team wins by something like 67 to 65, and that there's never been that score that's happened before ever in college football, that's considered a score gami. Yeah. I never knew that. Wait, really? That's, yeah. I, I love score gamis, dude. They are pretty rare. You only get a handful the season, but. Uh, it looks like UCLA won 62-33, to 33, which, yeah, that's a pretty weird score you probably never heard before. It's a basketball score, right? It is a basketball score. A pretty dominant basketball score, but a basketball score nonetheless. Um, Chip, I got to say, regarding your question here on firing Chip Kelly and hiring Lane Kiffin, I got to disagree. I'm still a big Chip Kelly fan. I hate to say it. I like Lane, but I, I think Chip's doing something good at UCLA. And the fact of the matter is, when you beat USC like that, you're probably keeping your job. Let's face it. Exactly. I, I don't. Agree. I don't see Lane Kiffin going to UCLA. And they finish. UCLA finishes at home against a weekend California team. So Chip has a real. Uh, Chip Kelly has a really good chance of going eight and four this year. So I can't see any complaining going on there. It's pretty solid. Good for him. Good for Chip. Both the Discord user and the coach. Thanks again. All right. Up next is Hash Brown one three two. Hey guys, it's Hash Brown here, and South Carolina is playing Clemson on Saturday. Clemson is favored to win by a score or two to win, but in my opinion, I think this is going to be a shootout that we come on top of. This may be the only shot we get to beat Clemson for a while, so I'll be going to the game. I'll be cheering. It'll be loud. Go Gamecocks. Go Gamecocks, and go Hash Brown. Thank you for being brave enough to submit that audio clip with your very deep voice. We appreciate it. Um... Listen, I, I thought I used to have a deep voice. <laughs> he has got a very deep voice for like a 12-year-old, but regardless, yeah. um, I got to say, Hash brings up a good point here, guys. This might be the only time South Carolina has a chance at beating Clemson for a while. So I'm rooting hard for the Cox here on this one. Um, yeah, I am too. I just, I want to see Clemson's dynasty just collapse, okay? That's just how I want to say Feels like we're close. Uh, this is their only chance for maybe a while, but I don't think the dynasty is collapsing. I think people need to remember, as hard as we as we clowned on Clemson this year, they're what nine and three, like eight, eight and three. three. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. considered doing awful playing at their worst football. Yeah, all things considered, Clemson. It, it seems like Clemson has kind of at least picked up the pace and is decent at this point of the year. But that said, South Carolina, they're bowl eligible right now. They're what, like yeah, South Carolina's done much better than expected. Yeah, so they're doing pretty well. I, I, I think this is at South Carolina, he was saying. Um, so, uh, listen, this should be a good game at a minimum. I think this is going to be a pretty close one, um, given that it's a rivalry. Yeah. And fun fact, the last 20 years, Clemson, I believe, has a, a 13-7 lead on the the, uh, the game right now. And that includes a five-game winning streak. Uh, by South Carolina in the mid 2010s. I remember that. Yeah, uh, yeah, from 2009 to 13. There was like a, a period where yeah, South Carolina was just dominating the rivalry, but then Clemson. I mean, they like, had Steve Spurrier at the yeah. time, so of course. And then they Clemson just like suddenly became like god tier good, and it hasn't been the same. <laughs> but no. Yeah, fingers crossed on this one, man. I I would love to see South Carolina win. I really would. I really would. So good luck, Cash Brown. Have fun at the game. Up next, we have Lobro. Lobro is a fan of the Florida State Seminoles. This week, my Florida State Seminoles are taking on the Florida Gators, who I'd consider our biggest rival. 
I've pretty much been an FSU fan my entire life, so I've had a burning hatred for UF ever since I left the womb. Although the rivalry has been painfully one-sided and, un- and unexciting for the past few years, I believe this year might just be the sunshine showdown we've seen in years. My first memory of this rivalry was probably back in 2010. I wasn't at the game, but I was watching with my family from a sports bar, and I remember seeing everyone so angry, so hateful. I don't think I really understood why, but I definitely hated them now, too. The next time they came into town in 2012, they beat us, and I think I cried. The next season was our national championship season, and I remember this Florida game the most. We beat them 37-7, to and I was ecstatic. We would go on to beat them five years straight from 2013 and 2017, including the game in 2016 that I attended. Since then, they've won two straight in blowout fashion, but this year will be different. Despite the fact this game is taking place in Gainesville, we're coming off off of two straight wins, including our other rival. Florida, on the other hand, has had a miserable season, coming off an overtime loss to Missouri. They come back home to take on the mighty Seminoles. Winner gets a bowl game, loser gets nothing. The stakes are high, and that's why this game will be one of the most thrilling games of the weekend. Tune in to ESPN at 12 p.m., 11 Central, this Saturday to see the Knolls take down the Gators, 34-28. to 28. Oh, man. Thank you for the report, Lobro. That's been exciting. <laughs> and I think he sent that to us before the Dan Mullen announcement came on. Oh, did he? Yeah, I guess he probably would have mentioned oh, that. Oh, boy. Because yeah. he would have mentioned that. Actually, yeah. that's a pretty good point because, like, I wonder how that's going to play into this game. I feel like Florida State has to have a pretty big advantage because of that, right? Yeah, I think Florida's so. going to rally it together. Think so? I, I don't know. Around like an interim head coach and the season pretty one, much being a wash and stuff week. like that. Yeah, I I don't think they're going to come into it. I mean, I think it'll be close just because Florida still has a pretty good talent level compared to like Florida State. But motivation will trump that. So I think Mike Norvell gets his team to 6-6 six and six into a bowl game. I certainly yeah, hope so. Yeah, I could see it. I yeah. could see it. I mean, at a certain point, everybody jokes about SEC teams not showing up to bowl games and being an excuse. But, I mean, there is a little bit of truth to it. And there's a, this is a situation where they have literally nothing to play for. A bowl, bowl game. I mean, it's a bowl game, bowl a 6-6, six six, but the Florida doesn't care about a 6-6 six six bowl game. They don't want to go to the damn Birmingham <laughs> Bowl. Yeah, I know. It's, it's probably true. But on the other hand, though, motivation, hey, there's a lot Florida State has to play for here in this one. Like you said, they won two in a row. It seemed like Florida State wasn't even coming close to a bowl game until very recently. So it started 0-4, yeah, lost that, to Jacksonville State. That's, I, that, was a rough, that was a rough loss. I remember that, but... Yeah, they, they've really rallied back, it seems, in the second half of the year. So I, it would be cool to see them find a way to make become bowl eligible, uh, despite all yes. the odds. Yes, and over the last 20 years, the, 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 the games between the two have been extremely competitive. I, they're, they're both have split. They're 10 and 10 apiece since yep. 2000. It's pretty crazy. So it, it should be a good one. Fingers crossed. Two and in. Thanks, Lobro. All right, up next we have, well, it's the final game I think we're going to touch base on. Uh, it's the final submission, at least, uh, from you guys. We have Posty covering Ohio State and Michigan. This is Posty. I'm going to be talking about the Ohio State and Michigan rivalry and what it means to me. So basically, I first knew I loved Ohio State when I was born because I was given a Ohio State blanket when I was born. And I knew I hated Michigan in 2003, 2006, actually. When my dad took me to the game for the first time, and he told me he hate this team. 
favorite moments from a rivalry are the stop um, Ohio State had in tw- 2013, I want to say, where it was Michigan won for the two-point conversion, and Ohio State stopped them to win 42-41, to and Ohio State by 28. Wow. 28 points, boys. Ohio State's going to win by. <laughs> Thank you for the posting. I, do, I, remember I actually that, remember yeah. that game. Yeah, I saw. I remember seeing that uh, at a friend's house, seeing it live, and just being shocked that uh, they weren't able to get the, the the first down. But yeah, man, Ohio State, Michigan. What more can be said? I feel like this is probably the biggest game of the weekend. I, I know you love the Iron Bowl, Randy, but this has to be it, right? It, it has the most stakes. I know. I completely get that. As far as like national implications, this is definitely bigger. Yeah. But I feel yeah. like. Why do I have this weird feeling that the Iron Bowl is more up in the air than no, the game? Uh, not this year. Most years, yes. Everybody talks about Jordan Hare voodoo. It's not, dude. I looking back, it's not Jordan Hare. It's not Auburn. It was Gus Melzahn, dude. It was Gus Melzahn all, all right. along, and he's all gone right. now. So you have nothing to fear. Gus Melzahn voodoo, Magic. Exactly. Now that said, Willie, of course you're a fan of Michigan. I'd love to hear your take on all this. How you know with Michigan, how you became a fan, your thoughts on this rivalry and whatnot. Of course. Well, one thing I will point out is that the Michigan-Ohio State game, the hatred goes way back to, like, the mid-1800s. You know, you had almost had a war over the Toledo Strip. So the states have pretty much hated each other since they both gained statehood. So that's one thing I want to point out. Of course. And when did I, I mean, hate Ohio State? I mean, born and raised as a Michigan fan, it's it's in, it's installed to you to hate Ohio State or just anything related to the state of Ohio to some degree. But I think the one moment I absolutely became like a hater of Ohio State, like full blown, was back in like 2015. I started like watching football and became a big fan of it, and it was the 2016 game where. We have them on fourth and one, and we all know what happened that Double day. Ohio times. State gets gets the fourth and one. Next play, they score the game-winning touchdown and stuff like that. So I think from that moment, I officially hated Ohio State with every inch of my being. Of my being. But I will say, as much as I hate them, I respect their program a lot. They're one of the eight blue bloods out there and one of the top programs in history and in the country. And that's probably all I'm going to have to say for it because it pains me to talk about this topic because it's a beatdown every year for us. No, I remember that uh, that double overtime game you were talking about where it was a very controversial call. It's still controversial where people still talk about how it might have been the wrong call where they had the uh, fourth and one. Mm-hmm. And what was it, JT Barrett? He is, I believe I it was, yeah. It was, JT it was, a, it was I will still call it a 50-50 call whether or not yeah, he got I, the first one. It depends on the angle you're looking at basically. But that has to be one of the closest. You guys talk ever. about um sorry to interrupt here. You guys always mention that Michigan and Ohio State, they're in two different states. So you don't have to like live with the people who get to brag about it and stuff like that. But back from where I went to school at in high school, there was a handful of Ohio State fans there. So I was reminded about it wow. when I've when I've been there. So I didn't get the benefit of what you were saying. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be probably more crossing of, of the or pollination, I guess you could say, of the fanhoods between states than maybe Randy has given you credit for. I know I will say when Michigan came to Wisconsin this year, I, I did give a 
pretty bad rant about Michigan fans. No offense. <laughs> he did. Uh, but at one that point, when funny. they took over a stadium and were chanting things, at one point they all gathered together and started chanting "F Ohio, F Ohio." Which that was. If there's one thing I wanted to like input into the whole Michigan Ohio State game is that. There's actually a couple of stories from what I hear from like articles and stuff like that is there's this one family that lives on like the Michigan Ohio border and there's a highway that leads into the state and there's an overpass that goes over the over that highway. So what they do the day before the game is they walk to that overpass and display a giant a giant giant Ohio State flag over it so it can greet all the Michigan fans coming down to see the game. <laughs> that's pretty funny so as soon as you hit the state of ohio people are going to let you know we're going to kick your ass <laughs> so funnily enough i typed in jt barrett on uh, google to try to look up something real quick to say and the first thing that it tried to autofill to was jt barrett was short oh man <laughs> i thought that was pretty funny it's crazy to think like if he was actually short and let's just say like like definitively like he was like a yard short right if Michigan wins that, dude, they probably make the playoffs that year, like in Jim Harbaugh's second year. I feel yeah, like that totally changes the trajectory of everything, right? Yeah, I agree, because um, if JT was called short in that game, that would have changed the, traje- the trajectory of some people's opinions about Harbaugh. Because par- people say Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State. He can't make the Big Ten championship game. Mm-hmm. If Michigan would have won that game in 2016, I don't think a lot of people would be complaining right now, to be honest. I mean, you guys probably would have... I think we made the Big Ten Championship that year. You probably would have beaten us. You would have made the playoffs. And even if you don't win the national title, right? Just making the playoffs alone. Playoffs is awesome. Being one of the top four teams in the country is good in its own right. Exactly. So it's it's just... It's crazy, man. I'll say this, and I'll be honest with you here. I don't think there's a chance in hell that Michigan beats Ohio State. But (laughs) I would love to see another close game like that. Like, I want to see at least Michigan be competitive. You know what I mean? It feels like so many years they just, like, collapse in the second half against Ohio State. And that pains me, man. I know I'm, like, neutral in this case, but really, I want Michigan to win this. You know what I mean? I, I mean, the, you the see a t- I mean, if you see a, you see a team get beaten down for, that, for so long like Michigan does, you almost feel bad for them. And you're like, yeah, the underdog. Let's, let's win and exactly. stuff like that. Let's get some chaos. I, I, I would love, I mean, I would love for Michigan to win this game. I really would. Um, you know, I would. I've suffered eight straight losses, so... <laughs> Very sad. Randy, your final thoughts on this? Well, my final thoughts on the game is, well, I'm just going to watch the game and don't care what happens because I know we're going to lose. I'm probably just going to sit there and be like, okay, just play a good game, but don't get blown out, okay? That's fair enough. My final thoughts? Yeah, go for it. Don't overlook Auburn. Don't look ahead to Georgia. <laughs> no, so. no, 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 no. Come on, Randy. Yeah, There's no that. way. There's no way you're going to. No, I don't want it. rat poison. That's rat, rat poison. poison. All right. So, so be it. All right. Well, wow. Willie, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was it was great having you here. Um, yeah, I, it was really nice to hear your takes on Michigan, especially. It's good to get that perspective heading into this week because let's face it, the spotlight is on Michigan and Ohio State this weekend. All right. Uh, so yeah, once again, thank you, Willie, for everything for being on the show today. It was it was excellent. And to have thank you, on. you for the opportunity. Oh no problem. It's, we love having guests here on the show. Yeah, it was a great show. And beyond that, thank you once again yeah, to everyone who submitted your um, you know, your audio clips, your paragraphs, your your stories. It was it was genuinely very fun to go through and and hear these things and, and read these things and 
be able to talk about them with you guys. You, you guys have yeah. Very some of them surprised me. Some of you, some of y'all's abilities to come up with some real poetry. Yeah, dude. Specifically, sex they really surprised me. <laughs> yes. Please. Yeah, I know it was like a a good refresh of humor, at least. You know. For sure. And this is this is it, man. Rivalry week. It brings the best out of everyone. Not just not just and the teams, uh, coaches and stuff. The fans, the coaches, everyone. So needless to say, I am looking forward to this weekend. This is probably my favorite weekend in all of college football, to be honest with you. Better than better than New Year's Six Bowls, better than opening weekend. I think this is my all-time favorite. So Sorry. really looking forward Thank to you. this one, folks. Uh, once again, this has been the Jim Podcast. Thank you once again, Willie. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Randy. And thank you for listening, the viewer. We appreciate you. We love you. We support you. Roll Tide. Bob Wisconsin. Go Blue.